The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perrow columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we are catching up with Ralph Winter. Ralph is Commercial Director of Moho Resources. It's a newbie on the ASX, having raised $5.3 million last year and listing on November 7, the day after the Melbourne Cup, which for those who can't remember, was won by CrossCounter at 14 to 1. Moho is currently trading at 5.5 cents for a market cap of about $2 million. That makes it exactly the sort of stock that Garen Perrow likes to keep an eye on, as its tiny market cap means it's highly leveraged to exploration success. Moho is focused on its Empress Springs gold-based metals property near Croydon in Queensland and gold-nickel properties in WA. Welcome, Ralph, and thanks for joining us here today at Stockhead. Oh, thanks, Barry. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Now, thanks, Ralph. Uh, before updating us on the company, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your professional career before arriving at Moho? Uh, yeah, sure, Barry. So my, my career has been relatively varied. Um, I have been in, in the mining industry now for about 14 years, 14, 15 years. Uh, I've worked uh, primarily in small cap stocks. Uh, started off my career with a company called Trafford Resources. Shane, who's the MD of, uh, of Moho, and I both worked at Trafford. Uh, at, at that point in time, we worked together on, on a bunch of different companies. Trafford listed a company called Ironclad Mining as a, uh, a development vehicle for the iron ore assets at that point, which I was involved in as well. And with Shane, I was in, involved in, in a smaller part with some of the other companies that he was involved in as well. So companies like uh, Scott Gold and Athena Resources and, and Robust Resources, which was an investment vehicle uh, through Trafford as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Shane had his first foray into uh, the mining, uh, being an MD of a mining company with a company called Bannerman Resources, which did very well at that point in time, uh, given the uranium price. Uh, but we were primarily focused on on gold assets. And then when, when the iron ore stuff came through with uh, Ironclad, we were really sort of focused on that as well. So we had IOCG targets in, in South Australia. Um, and yeah, spent a lot of time promoting both of those companies. So I was the business development and investor relations manager for both Trafford and Ironclad for, for many years. And then when, when Shane and I left uh, Trafford at that point in time, it was uh, not long after the GFC, we decided to put together a company that could acquire really good quality assets um, and, and basically develop those. And we took the opportunity when the market was deflated and people were looking to divest some of their assets because they were strained. They didn't have a lot of capital mm-hmm. to, to sort of maintain a lot of these things. And uh, we, we managed to acquire some some very good quality assets, which we then consequently called back a little bit. We had five ultimately, and we called back to three key assets that we then vended into, or didn't vend into, we then IPO'd through right. Moho. Okay. So, now, the uh, the name, Moho, it sounds like a Mexican cocktail to me, but uh, <laughs> what is the derivation? 
Um, yeah, look, we get that question a lot. And um, if anyone's ever seen any of my presentations, they'll see I actually put it on the front slide just to create some clarity for people. So it's actually a, uh, it's a geological term. So the moho is the layer between the crust and the mantle in the earth. So roughly about sort of 30, 40 kilometers down. Mm -hmm. And it's named after the, uh, the geologist uh, or the geophysicist, geoscientist that uh, defined it at the time. And his surname was Moho Verisic. So, um, so for short, it's called Moho. Um, and we basically took it from that. So it has a geological context and, and we kind of like the, the mm. sound of the name. It, you know, had a nice little ring to it and mm. sort of rolled off the tongue really well. Yeah, it certainly does. Now, as I mentioned, uh, you haven't been on the ASX long, but uh, you've had uh, quite a bit of success, it seems, at Empress Springs uh, near Croydon in Queensland, undercover discovery. Uh, people tend to get excited about undercover discoveries. Uh, can you talk a bit about what you did find in your maiden drilling program there? Yeah, sure. So at Empress Springs, as you've suggested, everything there is undercover. So we're relying very heavily on our team of experts um, to help us get to the right position um, to basically do our reconnaissance drilling at that point in time. We weren't really expecting to make a discovery with that first first round of drilling. It was basically just to try and define what was there, you know, what we were looking at in terms of the geology. And in doing so, we, we used the work from um, John Ronsky, which has been... Um, so very important to us in terms of developing our regional model for targeting. And then we've, we've also got people internally that we use. Uh, so we've got consultants, Kim Frankham um, from Explore Geo, uh, Richard Carver, who used to be ex-Western Mining. Um, he's a geochemist. And they've all helped us sort of really define and look at where best to target this particular asset. And it was based on this work and, and our initial reconnaissance program. We then, um, unfortunately, we couldn't drill off of the tracks at that point. We didn't have heritage clearance. So we focused all our drilling along the tracks through through the area. And it's 800 square kilometers. So you've got to imagine that it's quite a large area to focus on. And we basically, um, we, we managed to to get a gold result there, which was, um, you know, quite quite significant for something that we weren't really targeting and, and we were quite happy with the result and it ended up being uh, eight meters at about one, uh, 1.1 grams per ton. Um, we've consequently now gone back and uh, done, well, we've got a two-stage program that we're, we're doing. We've uh, just completed an RC program, which is focusing around that particular um, zone along that track. And uh, we, we've got a new dual rig, an air core rig starting uh, this week, actually, which we'll then, um, we will then use to focus off the track potentially if we can get the heritage clearance finalized and then also look at other reconnaissance areas um you know in close proximity focusing around the caldera area that we've defined uh from our exploration there previously mm. now you mentioned there the uh, depth of the consultants that the company taps into i take it uh, given the company's size this is a cost-effective model yeah, that's right. Well, we do have a couple of key geos that we use um, internally that are employees of the company. We've got one that's primarily focused on the nickel assets in, in Western Australia, and the other one is focused on our gold assets in Queensland. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the additional skill sets we require, we have fostered relationships over the years with some very good quality, very well-respected consultants. Um, and, and, you know, like you say, it's, it's quite cost effective. You're not having to, you know, pay full time salaries for people. You pay them when, they, when they're working. And, you know, they, they have a wealth of experience that we just don't have internally. But in terms of developing that and, and working as a team together, it's worked really well for us. Mm. Now, you mentioned John Ronsky there, uh, one of Australia's better known in the area. I was just wondering what he's telling you about Empress Springs. 
Well, when we first had a look at Empress Springs, or when, when John first had a look at Empress Springs, he defined um, this uh, large structural corridor that ran through our ground. That was primarily based on a seismic traverse that the uh, Queensland um, government did back in about 2008 or nine, I think it was. And he went in and did some more regional analysis. He overlaid all the information that was available in terms of the structures that were there, the geochem data that was around. And he developed an initial uh, exploration model based on that, that regional targeting, which is his, his forte, that, that's what he does. Um, and then after we did that first round of drilling, we fed all that information back to John and he went and had a look at that in, in more detail. And what he eventually defined was uh, not only one large major regional structure that went through our ground, there was another one that was a little bit to the uh, northeast of our ground as well. So what we consequently did is before we sort of released the results of all of this, we went out and we pegged um, an additional 1,400 square kilometers around our existing 800 square kilometer tenements there to basically capture as much of those two major regional structures as we could. Um, Based on John's work, he believed that those were the, the drivers for potential mineralizing systems through this area. Mm. Uh, I think Croydon's heyday was back in the 1880s, and at one stage it was the largest gold field in North Queensland. Is the intent, uh, well, is the hope, I guess, that Empress Springs could be a, another Croydon gold field or an extension of the Croydon gold field or perhaps even the source of the, the mineralization at Croydon? Yeah, well, that, that's an interesting question because it, it really does depend on how you look at it. But um, based on what John has said in, in looking at, at our data and the regional model there, um, he has sort of indicated that he thinks it potentially could be the source of the Groen, Groen gold field and we might be setting on a much larger mineralizing system in our ground. Uh, obviously, the, the proof will be in the pudding, you know, and, that, and that's why we've dedicated a lot of time and effort into, you know, putting those holes in the ground and making sure that we get the results to to basically prove the story and show to people that we are sitting on, on what we said we thought we were. Mm. And the Air Corps drilling program has just started or about to start? Uh, it should start uh, shortly this week. Um, we'll, we'll probably, I think the rigs did arrive in the next few days and then uh, it should start hopefully around sort of Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and yeah, look, it's uh, it's exciting. The guys are were quite uh, positive about the RC program that we did, uh, and the, with the aircore, we can obviously do a lot more drilling. It's a bit cheaper, and it'll give us a lot more of an idea of what we're looking at, especially if we can get off the track there. Uh, we're hoping to to get some approvals through in terms of the heritage survey, and if we can do that, we can really look at defining that that discovery that we made and, and really see what the extent of that is. Mm. The uh, when might investors look out for results from that AC program? Um, so the first phase program, the RC program, that'll be coming out over the next uh, probably two to three weeks. Um, the Air Corps program itself will be coming out sort of subsequent to that. So we're probably looking at sort of two to four weeks after the program starts. What we're doing on site though is we're actually using a a system where we, we utilize an on-site um, system where we actually grind up the samples and create little pellets that we then scan with an XRF. Uh, and that's given us an ability to really zone in on where the base metal mineralization is, which could potentially be hosting the gold. And what we saw from our first draw program is that there seemed to be a correlation between the gold and base metal mineralization. So mm -hmm. by, by using that as a tool, we can then 
very real time out in the field adjust our program. If we find some really good base, mineral, base metal mineralization in certain holes, we can then take the drill rig back there and expand the drilling around that area. Um, so it, it's a very iterative process. Mm. But the good thing is that we're not having to wait, you know, four or six weeks for results to come back from the lab, because by that point, obviously, the drill rig's gone. Mm. And uh, as you can imagine, getting a drill rig out into far north Queensland, into the middle of nowhere, um, can be challenging. So uh, we're trying to obviously make the best use of what we've got at the time and maximise the efficiencies around around the program. Mm. What's the lay of the land up there? Is it hilly? Is it farmland? Yeah, look, it's a cattle station, um, so it's it's relatively flat, uh, basically. Quite a lot of scrub there. It's <clears throat> it's it's all undercover, so there, there's no real sort of major hills, uh, as you can imagine. But in the past, the old timers used to look for sort of for hills and outcrops sticking out of the ground. Mm-hmm. We haven't really had that uh, that benefit, unfortunately. But that being said, our cover in the areas that we've been looking in are, is only roughly about thirty to forty meters, so it's not onerous in terms of um, being able to mine it ultimately. Um, but it, it does obviously offer challenges in terms of trying to find it in the first place, which you know, by using these other techniques in terms of the geophysics and the geochemistry and, and the regional targeting, we, we've managed to do that. Right. That's obviously a very good time to be looking for gold with record Australian dollar gold prices. Nickel's not too bad either with everyone predicting that uh, strong times ahead with the EV revolution. Tell us a bit about your Silver Swan North project. Yeah, so our chairman, Terry Streeter, who's obviously had a lot of experience with nickel in the past through, uh, you know, Western areas and, and uh, Jubilee, um, he, is, he essentially came on board originally because of our uh, nickel, gold and nickel assets at Silver Swan just outside Kalgoorlie. So for people that don't know, um, our tenements are directly next to the Silver Swan, Black Swan uh, nickel mine. Um, our closest targets, uh, or our, our boundaries, only about one and a half kilometers from the mine itself. Uh, you can literally see, you know, see the facilities from our ground. Uh, but basically, it was uh, that er- original impetus that got uh, Terry involved in the nickel. And, and we've got very much like most people, and like you say, there's uh, a, a view that nickel is going to be very um, profitable moving forward and the opportunities around that, especially with the EV market, like you said. And our focus now is really to define what nickel we have there. And because of our relationship with uh, Poseidon that own the Silver Swan nickel mine, um, we're hoping that if we can define enough there, we'll be able to feed whatever we've got through the mine itself, which uh, in the long term will be, you know, a capital saver for the company. And, um, you know, we'll be able to generate some some revenue for the company from mm-hmm. that. Uh, so we, we've had uh, our first stage of drilling there, our first phase, which was targeted on the EM targets there. And uh, what we're looking at now is potentially a, a similar style mineralization to the Black Swan deposit, which is what they call the sort of blebby style deposit. It's almost, for lack of a better word, like little uh, nickel nuggets in the ground. Right. And the, the issue with that is that they're not connected in the ground. So when you do an EM survey, you don't really see the same EM response that you do with um, you know the likes of something like the Silver Swan deposit. So your EM targets don't highlight as much as, as these do. But the benefit being is that it still grades economically, and you can still get very large deposits, but you just don't see it from from that kind of um, that kind of technology. So you have to change how you explore for that slightly, which we we're doing, and uh, we're we're hoping to get out there and do another drill program uh, for the second phase of uh, the, the Blebby um, nickel sulfides there, uh, probably in the next sort of month or 
month or two. Uh, we're hoping we'll get another rig out there. We're, we're just trying to line all that up now. Right. Okay. And rounding out the portfolio, you have an interesting gold exploration property in the uh, wheat belt. Yes, uh, Barracopin. So Barracopin um, is it sits north of the Tampia Hill project, which Explorum had. Um, that Remelius uh, consequently went and uh, went and took out from uh, Explorum. And uh, essentially, we're sitting on very high uh, gravity targets there, which is very similar to Tampia. Um, we, we're, we're expecting that we'll have gold mineralization associated with those gravity highs. We sit on the same structural corridor that runs through Tampia. Um, so what we've been doing in the interim with uh, Barracopin is we've been lining up our land access agreements with the farmers there. As you can imagine, there's a lot of farmers out in this area, so we've had to do individual agreements with all of them. Um, and basically give us access to be able to get on the ground and do some proper exploration. So we've done surface sampling and that kind of thing, which has given us um, very good indications that what, we, what we're talking about, you know, is indicative of, of what the model looks like. Uh, and we'll, we'll follow that up now with uh, probably a, um, an auger drill program, which will give us a bit of a, a definition around where uh, we should be drilling, you know, deeper holes. And then consequently, we'll then we'll go out and do an air core program as well. So I suppose the only drawback is that we have to uh, sort of play with the farmers and, and sort of make sure that we don't interrupt their you know, their seeding and their harvesting um, out on site as well. So we're going to take all these into account and we've got great relationships with the farmers already. Um, and we just work in collaboration with them and, and make sure that we, you know, don't upset them and, and you know, work in, in conjunction with what they're doing, looking to do there as well. Mm, okay. So very active across the three project areas then. Um, now, obviously, the share price at 5.5 cents, the $2 million market cap, it's hard to find any company on the ASX trading at $2 million, which obviously gives you extreme leverage to exploration success. But I'm just wondering, what's your interpretation of why the stock is at 5.5 at the moment? Uh, look, it's a good question. I think um, there's a lot of factors that have come into it. But ultimately, I think what's happened is that a lot of a lot of investors come into IPOs believing that they'll get a, a massive capital up, uplift straight off the bat. Um, and, and unfortunately, with exploration, it just doesn't really work like that. You've got to give the company a chance to get out there, do the work, get the results out of the market and sort of really push that up. And, and we've now gone through the cycle where we've done a lot of that exploration work and it'll now start to come to fruition where we, we'll start to put out really good results. And that should then pick up the share price moving forward. Um, especially once we define these these discoveries that we're making to a larger extent, and the market really starts to understand that. Um, so I think it's it's a bit of a lack of um, maybe understanding around you know how that works, and for some people maybe a little bit of impatience. Um, you know, on the market they're they're really just waiting for that really quick uplift. But like you said earlier, we're, we're now at a point where. We, we've got a, a really good share price. We're a key sort of target demographic for investors that are looking for that quick uplift. And we're now at a point where that that uh, result-driven approach moving forward will start to pay for itself. Mm. Uh, can I ask, the results to date from Empress Springs, I was just wondering whether the phone has been ringing from some of the other corporates out there, given that you know the potential scale there. I know it's at very, very early days yet, but... Um, yeah, it's... Well, look, we have some had some indicative discussions with a couple of couple of larger companies. They do like what we're doing there, and like you said, it's early days, so they're sort of waiting to see, you know, how we 
how we progress things moving forward and what the results are. But all indications are that, that technically people, technical people really appreciate what we're doing there mm-hmm. and they really like our results and they're keeping an eye on what we're doing. So if these types of people that are involved in the industry are looking on it that keenly, then there's got to be something behind what we're doing um, that's really sparking their interest and, and they're really interested to see how that plays out. So, yeah, look, uh, you know, watch the space. It'll be interesting to see how that sort of plays out over the next uh, sort of 12 to 18 months. Um, but there, there definitely could be some interest there, um, you know, moving forward. And, and if we have the, the kind of resource or the kind of results that we're looking for, mm. um, then I think people, you know, people will stand up and, and pay attention. For sure. Okay. Ralph, that's been a great summary of the company and thanks for your time today. Much appreciated and all the best with your exploration programs as they unfold during the year. Well, thanks, Barry. I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to having a chat again in the future. Good on you. Thank you.